0: It's Thursday, May 5th, 2022. I'm Guy Benson. Welcome to The Guy Benson Show. Every single weekday from 3 to 6 p.m., that's our program. We're very glad to have you here. We're excited to be growing with all of you. Thank you for that. I'm Guy Benson, political editor at townhall.com, a Fox News contributor, host of this fine program as well. Our website is guybensonshow.com. The podcast is free every day on demand. We recommend it if you can't listen to the entire show as it airs, you can also follow us on social media at Guy Benson Show. That's Twitter. It's also Instagram. I mentioned that I'm a Fox News contributor. In that capacity, I'll be joining Brett Bayer and company on the panel on set today here in D.C. as we're back at our show's headquarters at the D.C. Bureau of Fox News in the nation's capital. So I'll see you right around 6.45 p.m. Eastern time on Special Report on Fox News Channel. Here on the radio side... The lineup is as follows. Jessica Tarloff will join us later this hour from New York. Matt Finn, our Fox News colleague, is in Lviv, Ukraine. We'll get the latest from him on the war over there. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie will also be here in our middle hour of three. And Molly Hemingway will be our guest in the final hour, the 5 p.m. Eastern hour. And that'll be an interesting conversation, as always, with Molly. Plus, a special little cameo appearance at the end of the show from our own cookie, producer Christine, who's on vacation, but she's taking a hiatus from the vacation just to join us on this joyous day for her, which is Cinco de Mayo. We'll get an update from Christine in case you're wondering. No, she has no Mexican descent whatsoever, but we're going to talk to her anyway. As we begin today's show, I want to start as I have the last few programs on the issue of abortion, which is not the cheeriest of subjects, but it is an important Thorny, complicated issue, and it is front and center in our political debate because of this leak out of the Supreme Court. And that leak has touched off quite a firestorm on social media, within the news media, people in their everyday lives talking with one another. And I'm trying to at least contribute to that conversation in a way that is thoughtful and responsible And also advancing my pro-life beliefs in ways that will hopefully help persuade some people, because I think ultimately this comes down to hearts and minds, persuasion, and yes, even some compromise, even on an issue where it's sometimes difficult to find compromises. It's not impossible. And I just briefly on the show yesterday responded to one of these arguments that I've seen a lot. It's sort of a snappy little slogan that people are posting on Instagram stories or what have you that I thought really is weak and belies pretty shallow thinking about the issue. And I mentioned it in passing on the show, and then I expanded on it later on last evening in a whole Twitter thread, and then I wrote about it today at townhall.com as well. So in case you missed it, just very briefly, what we hear is this talking point, if you oppose abortion, don't have one. And that seems kind of on its face, simple, easy to understand. They make the point. I think it is simplistic and, in fact, facile because the same type of argument would not apply and would not be accepted on a whole host of other issues, especially from a progressive standpoint. And I gave a few examples. If you oppose rape, don't commit one. If you oppose a war, don't enlist to fight in it. If you don't like AR-15s or weapons of war or whatever they're going to call them, don't buy an AR-15. Don't buy an assault rifle. If you don't like to smell cigarettes in a bar, don't smoke. If you want to limit carbon emissions, don't drive or don't fly. And you can see on each of those issues, no one would actually say, oh, well, if your personal preferences and your values are that rape is bad, the only thing you should do about that is just commit yourself to not raping someone else. Right? If you believe, like all of us, that rape is evil and should be illegal, the argument would be your bodily autonomy, your personal liberty does not allow you – To violate someone else's bodily autonomy or personal liberty. You say, so, guy, that's not the same thing, except actually the question is the same question. At what point does abortion violate someone else's rights? You have competing liberties here, the right of a woman to control her body and the right of another human being not to be killed when that unborn child becomes a human being is a difficult question. When is that life worthy of legal protection? That is the heart of this whole debate. Some people say it should be conception. Some people say it should be birth. Most Americans, based on the polls, believe that it lies somewhere in between. Maybe after the heartbeat begins around six weeks, maybe 12 weeks, 20 weeks where the child starts to become viable outside of the mother and can feel pain, right? That is the discussion that we're having. And it's just not as simple as dismissing it as saying, well, if you don't like it, don't have one, right? People who would like to have heavily regulated laws on firearms, people who'd like to confiscate guns, outlaw certain guns, right, reimpose an assault weapons ban, They wouldn't accept this answer like, oh, well, if you don't like those guns, then you shouldn't buy them. They'd say, accept the existence of those guns, disproportionately, this is their argument, I'm not endorsing it, but they would say it disproportionately impacts society. We have to do this for the greater good. It's not enough to say I'm personally not going to buy that type of gun if you feel like those guns shouldn't be available to the general population for whatever reason. Right, The green people, Green New Deal, environmentalists, they go out of their way to say we need collective action to limit carbon emissions. It's not just individual choices being made. We have to do things broadly as a society, and the government has a role to play. People who might oppose a war that's being fought by their government, by their country, right, just because they're not going to go put on a uniform and volunteer to go fight in the war – that's not the limit of their opposition to the war. There are broader, wider implications. There are lives at stake. You don't say, OK, well, you just don't join the army and now sit down and be quiet. Right? It's not that simple. We wouldn't really believe that those are good or persuasive or strong arguments in other contexts. So the question, as I said, the fundamental question is, when does life begin? When is it worthy of being protected? At what stage of pregnancy? People have reasonable disagreements on that. And as I said, most Americans are kind of pro-life with a little bit of pro-choice. That's what the public opinion polls show. But it gets a lot more complicated. And I think that we have to have these discussions in a complex way, and sometimes the results or the compromises will be messy and unsatisfactory. I concede that. But I also think it's important to underscore that simply saying, oh, well, if you don't like it, just don't do it yourself, that doesn't really cut it on this issue or many other issues, as I've just illustrated. The other one that I want to deal with Is something that I get all the time if I mention being pro-life or make arguments against abortion, particularly later in pregnancy, which I find particularly gruesome. I hear, and it's not just limited to me, all the time, oh, well, you're a man. You can never be pregnant. So sit down and shut up. This is for women to talk about. You shouldn't really have an opinion on this. Now, there's sort of a snarky joke to be made here. Because we just had a big fight and a big discussion on trans rights about whether men can, in fact, be pregnant. And a lot of people argue, yes, men can be pregnant, but for this debate, men should be quiet because they can't be pregnant. It does feel a little incoherent, but let's just set that off to the side. The issue here, the argument, if you can call it that, I'll be generous, is that if you cannot personally – be pregnant and have to deal with, let's say, an unplanned pregnancy. As a man, your opinion is worthless or at least worth less than a woman's. And this is used as a silencing tactic to tell a bunch of pro-life people to pound sand and keep their mouths shut. Because you notice they never tell pro-choice men to be quiet on the issue. Pro-choice men, it's like, hey, you're an ally. Good for you. Please speak up. If you disagree and you're a dude, well, then that's a problem because you're a dude. That's how the game is played. I don't think that that's intellectually rigorous or honest at all. But again, does this standard apply on other issues? For example, I'm openly gay. I'm on the LGBT spectrum. I'm G in that acronym. Married to a man. Same-sex marriage and a lot of these questions have been in the realm of public debate for a long time. Many straight people have opinions on LGBT rights in either direction. So the Obergefell decision, which legalized gay marriage across the country, created that right. That was authored. That decision in the Supreme Court was authored by a straight, white, cisgendered man, Justice Kennedy. Now, was he told to be quiet and keep his thoughts to himself because he's not LGBT or was he dealing with a constitutional question? A more recent decision, Bostock, that expanded LGBT rights, was authored by Justice Neil Gorsuch, a Trump appointee, another white, straight, cisgendered man. Should he not really weigh in on this stuff, on these critical constitutional questions, because he's not personally affected by it because he's not LGBT? No, of course not. That's preposterous. If you're a straight person, let's just say you're a straight person who strongly and passionately supports LGBT rights and same-sex marriage. And there's a lot of people like that out there. Does your voice not matter in the debate? am only I allowed to talk about it or people who are gay or queer or whatever. Are we the only ones who can talk about this or debate these things? No, because we're like, what, three to five percent of the entire population. These are issues that affect everyone in different ways, because I think a lot of the proponents of gay rights would say it's not just about individual people. It's about human rights and human dignity and fairness and equality. And that matters to everyone. That exact same argument can apply to abortion, where, yes, I, of course, understand that it's a women's rights issue in a lot of ways. And I think it's good for men talking about this issue to be self-aware about that and not have a big blind spot there. But also many pro-lifers are pro-life because they view it as a human rights issue where at some point, whether it's conception or weeks later or months later, That life is a human life worthy of legal protection. Therefore, it is a human rights issue. Therefore, anyone is welcome to weigh in and comment on it and give their arguments and try to make their case and to just try to backhand an argument and dismiss it out of hand because of the sex of the person making it is very lazy and demagogic and is actually a way to avoid an actual discussion on the substance. Here's another example, taking it out of the LGBT realm. What about war? The overwhelming majority of people who are in active duty combat at the front lines in war, overwhelming majority. The overwhelming majority of people who are wounded and killed in action in war are men doesn't mean that there are no women but it's lopsided. It's mostly men and it's not really close. Would that mean if we were debating a controversial war in this country that the United States was fighting that a female senator let's say got up on the floor and gave a speech against the war for her various reasons about the conduct of the war, the righteousness of the war, etc. Would it be okay if people got up and said, okay, little lady, pat her on the head and say, have a seat. You and your lady parts aren't really that well represented on the front lines, so your opinion doesn't really matter very much. We'll take it into consideration, but it's sort of like you know, 5%, 95%, we're just going to listen to the men. Of course not. That would be insulting and ridiculous because it's a matter of national and international import. A lot is at stake. Lives are at stake and things are being done. Policies are being carried out by our government. Everyone is welcome to weigh in on that debate. That's what we do in this country. If you're spending a lot of your time trying to disqualify people, uh, people from sharing their opinion and trying to boil it down to their race or their sex or whatever. I think that says a lot about you and your confidence in the actual arguments beyond all the identity stuff. If you have an argument to make on abortion, make it. Don't sit around telling other people that they shouldn't have an opinion and really aren't allowed to come down one way or another because they're in some other category. Let's have the discussion. Let's welcome people's perspectives on it. Let's weigh which arguments are good and which ones aren't which ones are persuasive and which ones aren't, and let's go through the messy process of crafting public policy. Let's not say, oh, you look a certain way, or you were born with this chromosome, or you have this genitalia, and therefore you be quiet, unless you agree with me. I think it's fundamentally intellectually bankrupt to do that. So those are some of the ground rules that I like to lay out About the debate that we have on these issues, especially this one. And the prevalence of the two arguments that I just rebutted, I felt like required me to come here and respond to them. Because frequently you hear almost nothing but those two types of arguments. And I think they fail. Fundamentally, they fail on the merits. I'm late already. We got to go. Taking our first break of today's program right back after this short commercial break. Don't go anywhere. It's the Guy Benson Show.
3: Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Kudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Kudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.
0: Guy Benson were back, an addendum to that opening monologue on the latter part, where it's like only women are supposed to be able to have an opinion on abortion, and really, even then, it's only one opinion. Basically, you're allowed to have a pro-choice opinion. If not, then you're a misogynist, and you hate women, and all of this stuff. And the histrionics really are over the top. Part of the reason that they engage in this is because... Let's say you left abortion policy exclusively to women, which is not how we do things in this country and we shouldn't. But if we did that. A majority of American women support significant limitations on abortion, according to every poll, including the brand new Fox News poll out this week. By 10 points, a double digit margin, women support the 15 week ban in Mississippi. Now, does that majority of American women Does that reflect what we see on our screens and on social media a lot of the time? No, it is a very dramatically slanted picture painted by activists to make it feel like the majority is actually a tiny minority, which is not true, including among women.
3: You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson.
0: Thank you for being here on the Guy Benson Show every weekday, 3 to 6 and around the clock on demand for free, GuyBensonShow.com. That's the podcast option. All that information that you would need is right there, GuyBensonShow.com. Joining us now is Jessica Tarloff, co-host of The Five here at Fox News, a contributor at the network, head of research at Bustle. She also has multiple (laughs) <laughs> responsibilities here at the show including chief romance correspondent jesse good to have you back
2: thank you so much thrilled to be here
0: how is baby cleo these days any updates with her any new uh excitement in her life
2: well she is almost five months old which is madness um i'm leaving her for the first time next week which is incredibly sad but i'm sure i'll survive oh, like, for, what, a quick like trip i have to go away or? for work no six days 6 days.
0: Oh, that that's a pretty long trip.
2: I know. Most people are, you know, they do one or two nights away, but I'm I'm really going for it. Um, but no, she's great and we went on a plane for the first time and she did wonderfully. So, all I've is heard good. that
0: like very young infants are pretty good generally on airplanes and it gets harder as they get older for like a period of time for you know a couple of years well that, that makes sense moving. to me at least intellectually
2: yeah moving is a problem and then moving before you can just give them an ipad is the biggest problem <laughs> so so what's the
0: what's the deal here because you're going to be gone for six weeks obviously you're no gonna six have days people, uh, sorry six days not six okay. weeks my goodness like, but six six days it's still a long time yeah people are going to be taking care of cleo in your absence Have you been following this baby formula shortage story? Following it like
2: it's ruining my life, yes.
0: Yeah, (laughs) what's going on? Because I'm seeing friends of mine who are mothers of very young children, and I feel like this is a vastly underplayed story in the country where, I mean, this is hugely disruptive. What's going on with this?
2: So when Cleo was about a month old, um, so the beginning of 2022, Similac, which is one of the biggest – brands, formula brands, had a recall on I believe it was three of their strains of formula. So there are all these different versions, right? Like gentle ease for sensitive tummies, you know, pro advance, not just, you know, advance Alimentum. you know, lots of versions like think, you know, Diet Coke, Cherry Coke, Coca Cola, et cetera. And so they recalled three of them, um, which obviously panicked a lot of mothers who had been giving their children the recalled ones. And now there are two things. One, there's a supply issue because they had to take so much off the market. And now there's a demand issue for the other ones because no one wants to go back to the ones that had been recalled because there's anxiety that there's something wrong and they'll find out that another X amount of batches have, are faulty. So everyone is now collapsed around the same labels, Essentially. So like Cleo's formula was not one that got recalled, but it was one that everybody then moved on to. So now I actually have her on two different formulas. Um, One is easier to get, Enfamil, is easier to find than Similac. So she, we mix it. Um, But it's a nightmare and everyone in my life, I have them on alert. And if they're in a drugstore and they see a bottle of ready to feed, like the liquid formula or powder, I just tell them to get it. You know, as in, if you see this, please get it. Yes, like, I I'll Venmo, Venmo you. you, please. Yeah. So it's it, a real it's problem. It's like
0: COVID tests, you know, for exactly. a while there.
2: Oh, totally. Or like masks at the beginning when you were so excited that you came across a surgical mask. Um, Jillian Turner uh, is having trouble with the formula shortage, too. And I think, is it Mark Meredith, one of our correspondents who was talking about it? Um, he has, I think, a six-month-old. Um, it's a really, really big problem, and you're totally right that it's being – vastly undercovered and I don't know why because it's not like babies have other options of what they can eat they can't start right. digesting need, milk until they're a year old
0: they need this right this right. is like a matter of survival and sustenance and that kind of thing and I know it affects maybe kids of a very specific age range and then Zero to one. you know parents parents who have those kids which is at any given moment a small slice of society but it's still a lot of people a lot. and a yeah pretty big pretty big story so yeah. you, you gave us an opportunity, an excuse to talk about it here, because I just seen like the stray tweet from time to time. Right. And Carol Markowitz, who appears on the show and is on Fox a lot, yeah, she tweeted today, like, how is this not the number one story in the country, at least one of them? Right. And I said, that's actually a, a fairly good question. I'm going to ask uh, Chief Baby Correspondent Jessica <laughs> Tarloff about it uh, later on here on the program. Let's shift, Jesse, to a completely different topic in the political realm I'm wondering how you're thinking about the student debt cancellation debate that's happening right now. There's a few interesting sort of, I guess, wrinkles politically within the Democratic coalition. Did you see this story in Politico about Vice President Harris reportedly not wanting to cut a video with Biden or for Biden about this because she felt like the policy wasn't progressive enough and she didn't want to put her face to something that might be used against her maybe in the future politically on the left. Uh, That's sort of an interesting sidebar to this whole thing. Maybe talk about that first, and then we can broaden out to the underlying issue, too.
2: Well, in terms of Vice President Harris not wanting to cut the video for Biden's rollout of his policy, which I think, you know, he's talked about canceling $10,000 worth of debt, which other politicians and even conservative ones like Whip Clyburn has talked about as a good start, but not – you know, the full Monty of it, um, I think speaks more to the fact that Harris might be just eyeing her own 2024 chances. There were a series of polls that came out in the last couple of weeks about her support amongst African-Americans, and she is blowing the competition away. And, you know, Biden has said that he intends on running, um, but obviously – if he doesn't, you're gonna be looking at the vice do you president. really think I mean he
0: has to say that right he has he does to say have to running. say it,
2: and he's in very good health, um obviously he's also very old um uh, and i uh, always thought of him as running a bit of a caretaker presidency uh campaign, right? like we've had these traumatic four years we're in the midst of a global health pandemic. you I can soothe us through the next four years, so i he always said That's eight certainly years.
0: How he sold it, yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah, um. I never, I never thought he, it was like a hundred percent for 2024. And I think with a 79 year old or whatever he is, you usually can't make those kinds of uh, estimations. And the same goes for Donald Trump, who's around the same age. Um, so I think that Harris is kind of eyeing what 2024 could look like. And
0: so she, how does that work though? Because you know she obviously ran to be his number president. two, his vice president, and kind of that role is to support the administration and its policies. You know, when does that become politically tricky where the vice president kind of starts to back away from the brand because she wants to differentiate her brand moving forward? I feel like you know the rift that's been reported there in the White House and the administration between the president's staff and the vice president's staff, this could maybe deepen it if they feel like she's off on her own track now.
2: I think it certainly could, though most of the anger was coming from the Harris side anyway. Right, that they were pissed off that people weren't standing when she entered a room, which Dana Perino told us was not the norm anyway for a vice president of other administrations. Um but yeah, why I, was she
0: so caught up on that?
2: I think that when you're struggling, and her own team would even admit that she was struggling, um, obviously had a lot of gaffes in at big moments from, you know, standing right. there with the Polish president to just casual chats on Charlemagne the God's Breakfast Club, for instance. Sure. Um you're frustrated, right, and you're just looking around for anything that can bolster your case for the, that you're being treated badly. And maybe she genuinely thinks that she's deserving of that. And she's the second most powerful person in the United States of America. That's a big deal. Well, get Justice Alito. By the way, is I, I, I this my house. This week.
0: <laughs> when I have when I have dinner parties, I demand that everyone stand when I enter the room. That's just that's a rule. Are in you the house. vice
2: president or president of your house, Adam? Maybe it listening. depends on the
0: day. Okay, <laughs> it depends on the day, right? Uh, and of course, I'm joking about that. Incidentally, I, you should check your email for a little a little e-vite.
2: Ooh, um, I love we, an we evite.
0: Yes, yeah, Senate, your direction for more uh, Memorial Day weekend. Just a little oh. on air, a little on air heads up about our friendship here. Uh, okay. but please go on.
2: Um, so I think that it's coming more from the Harris side anyway. I think that Biden and his people really just move ahead with what they're doing. And they've given her her portfolio, but that the unified team is not as important, certainly as we're heading into the midterms. Versus 2024, right? Like, he's going to need her for 2024, but what's going on right now, it's a lot of one-on-one stuff, and he needs her to take a lot of responsibility for an incredibly vast and important portfolio that she's been dealt. So I read into it that this is really coming from Harris's side and not coming from Biden's side. He's someone who himself has obviously made a lot of gaffes or misspoken, and I think that he has a tremendous well of understanding for when that happens. So I read this as – as her end of it, being pissed off about the standing and, you know, getting uh, uh, pieces to her portfolio that she didn't like or that she feels yeah. like are intractable problems. But guess what? That's what vice, vice presidents get. And that's what yeah, Joe also, Biden had.
0: Yeah, you, you ran for this, right? You, you ran right. for some power and there and you are got big a lot. challenges. <laughs> yes. Yep. Exactly right. Uh, now, on the issue itself of student loan forgiveness. Yeah. I know they're talking about dollar amounts. They're talking about you know, income thresholds and a few other things. But there are a lot of folks, and I've seen even some center-left people at least privately worrying a little bit about sort of the fairness backlash that could come to this because you'll make some people very happy because, I, you know, I would love my mortgage to be forgiven. That would be fabulous. I'd Is be that very on the happy. table
2: because I would like that.
0: I mean, I think we all would.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and,
0: and if the answer is no, like what's the limiting principle here? What is the actual policy? And how is it fair to ask U.S. taxpayers to forgive any debt of people who signed a contract, eyes wide open, knowing what they were getting themselves into when many of those Americans never went to college? Most Americans don't go to college, right? right. A significant majority of Americans don't go to college. A lot of people, and I've made this point before, they make sacrifices to pay off their debt. Student loans. They go to less expensive schools, maybe not their dream school right. that they can get into, but not actually go and matriculate. It's too expensive. They've made a lot of sacrifices. There's a, a very big coalition, Jesse, of people in the country who either didn't go to college or have, you know, done the right thing and made sacrifices. Who might not be thrilled with the idea of shelling out for other people's student loans to be forgiven. What's the balancing act there in your mind in terms of, like, the policy debate?
2: I think probably this $10,000 number, you know, where Biden is going to be pitching it, I guess, is the middle ground. And by middle, I mean still shifted to the left. Um, This seems like the thing that left lefty progressives have kind of like caught in their teeth. Right. And they are just not. Dropping it, And this was kind of like what the Green New Deal was before the last election, right? They're just going and going and going and going. I want this thing. I want this thing. And now it's uh, canceling student debt. I don't think it's obviously a political winner. It might be something that animates the younger portion of the left, but it is not something that sits well with moderate and only some of them. I mean, I'm part of the younger portion of the left. I'm very lucky. I, you know, I'm not carrying student debt um but i actually think that jd vance or jd mandel whatever we're supposed to call him these days um had a really thoughtful answer when asked about this and he brought up the issue of all of these predatory loans that kids took so when you say you go into this eyes wide open a lot of people are hoodwinked and they're hoodwinked into taking a student loan for college and also bad mortgages we obviously saw you know the housing market absolutely collapsed because well, of this. Yeah, no,
0: and I agree. I think there could be some accountability there. You have some of these schools right. with massive endowments who just keep raking in yeah. money. And you know, at some point, if you have the federal government through the dollars of taxpayers basically bailing this out and, and canceling debt, that will only drive the cost of college even higher. Because at it, some it'll places, be this sort yeah. of Yeah, this self fulfilling Spiral, which I think is another huge risk to all of this. Plus, there's the inflationary uh, component of it, which is, of course, related. Jesse, I just want to quickly get your thought on this. This news is just breaking from our colleague Jackie Heinrich at the White House at Fox News. The White House has just announced that Jen Psaki will be leaving. We knew this was going to happen sometime, but yep. we now have a date. It's May the 13th. Oh, Jen Psaki will leave. Yep, she's <laughs> no longer going to be secretary and she will be replaced. By Corrine Jean-Pierre, who's one of her deputies. Uh, Just your your thoughts on that. We know that Jen will be uh, now, I guess, very soon a cable news competitor of ours at another network. And uh, she now has one of her deputies stepping into that role as the chief, the primary White House press secretary as of May the 13th. Just a quick reaction.
2: Not surprised. I I guess surprised of the timing. I always find it weird when people give an announcement, but then it's actually happening in, like, 20 minutes, and they act like they gave you a lot of warning. Like, it's next week. Um, But the fact that it leaked that she was signing with MSNBC obviously made this an an inevitability. Uh, Karine Jean-Pierre has done a really good job. She's briefed solo from the podium a few times. Um, she's briefed aboard Air Force One even more than that. Um, she's really qualified. She did a great job during the campaign as well, um, and I think that she'll do nicely in the position. And I know that a lot of when Jen, what Jen Psaki has done has been controversial, certainly amongst conservatives, but I think that she did a really good job Um Work, you know, as press secret- as press secret- as press secretary for President Biden. Um, so I have no complaints with that. Just a little bit of complaining about already signing a cable news deal before you're out of government, which I think mm-hmm. is an ethics violation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, onward we now, go. I, I
0: I would probably have more complaints about her role than, than you would. Sure. And that's fine. But <laughs> yeah. and also, look, it's a very hard job for yes. anyone. And when a presidency isn't going well and isn't popular, the job gets harder, right? Of course. Because the press tends to get more into a frenzy and they're throwing hostile questions at you. And that's, I mean, generally, if you're a Republican, that's what happens. Uh, But, you know, even if you're presiding over an unpopular Democratic presidency, may not be quite as hard as the job when the other party's in power. But it's still kind of tough. And sometimes you have to work with pretty meager offerings, uh, and, and do your best, and I, I have no doubt that's what she has tried to do. Jessica Tarloff is co-host of The Five at Fox News, where she's a contributor, as am I, head of research at Bustle, and flexing some of her uh, chief baby correspondent muscles here on the show today on the formula issue, which we just sort of tossed at Big you. Big deal. And yeah, you, got, you, know, you got into the specifics and sort of into the granular details, which is what we were looking for. Jesse, always good to talk to you.
2: Great to talk to you, too. Um, And
0: we will step aside. We will be right back. And check out your email for that evite. We'll be right back. Thank
2: you.
3: Guy Benson will be right back.
0: Back on the Guy Benson Show. This is interesting. A new Fox News poll that we've been quoting from the last few days. They keep releasing new elements of it and additional questions that they asked. This is about masking policies, including... Masking in schools, which has been increasingly controversial, although now it's sort of inching into non-controversial, just in the opposite way. People now believe that kids should not be wearing masks in schools. 62% say they should be removed. That's up from 50% just in February. A 12-point shift driven by parents and even Democrats Hispanic voters and black voters all up double digits on this question. And I mean, that's something that we were beating the drum on here pretty relentlessly on this show for a long time. And it's nice to see some people are finally catching up, although 82 percent of Senate Democrats just voted this week to keep masks on preschoolers, which is crazy, including Raphael Warnock and Maggie Hassan. We told you about that yesterday. They're both up for reelection. They want masks forced onto Toddlers for no scientific reason. They are increasingly out of step with the public. Oh, then remember that AP poll from a few weeks ago when the judge threw out the transportation mask mandate and everyone on the left was saying, oh, look at this AP poll. People still want to wear masks on planes. This move is very unpopular. They want these masks. Well, public opinion has shifted dramatically on that as well. Now a majority in the Fox News poll of Americans say yes, it is time to remove masks as a requirement on public transportation and airplanes. So public opinion does tend to shift sometimes very quickly. Another hour of The Guy Benson Show is coming up next. Stay with us. Don't go anywhere.
3: Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show.
0: Welcome to our middle hour here on the Guy Benson Show, Thursday edition from D.C. in the Fox News Bureau. I'm Guy Benson. Glad to have you here. 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern every weekday. Also, the podcast is available around the clock for free on demand. GuyBensonShow.com. That's GuyBensonShow.com. In my capacity here at Fox, I'll be on the TV side of things this evening. Not too long from now, actually. Toward the end of the 6 p.m. hour, I'm on the panel tonight with Brett Baier and Special Report, Fox News Channel. Fox News alert. Well, the Dow just got hammered today. The markets in general tanked. The Dow down 1,063 points at the close, ending at 32,997. So below 33,000 on the day for the Dow. Yesterday, there was a big uptick in the market, and we saw a bounce late in the trading day, and it rushed up hundreds of points. We talked to our colleague Sandra Smith about it, and she said the hope was, it seemed, on Wall Street that maybe the Fed taking action to raise rates the way that they confirmed was fueling confidence on the markets about the inflation issue, and maybe inflation was going to actually get curbed or brought somewhat under control at some point. That was the hope yesterday. That was the big optimistic note on which the day ended yesterday. And then apparently that optimism just collapsed today because all of those gains, 900 plus points on the Dow, at least yesterday, were lost today and then some. And it's because of inflation fears. That's, you know, the, the number one takeaway on this. And it was, you know, the best day since 2020 yesterday. On Wall Street and now the worst day since twenty twenty one day later so that's the update from Wall Street here as we enter our middle hour I want to play a few sound bites for you this was from yesterday's edition of special report on which I'm appearing this evening on the panel Brett Bayer, the anchor had Tim Ryan who is now the Democratic nominee for Senate in the state of Ohio All right, Republicans nominated J.D. Vance Democrats had coalesced around Tim Ryan for a long time. He's a sitting congressman. And there were a few questions that Tim Ryan really, really, really didn't want to answer. And Brett did his best to get answers from him. One of them was, as we've pointed out a few times on the show, Ryan is trying to sort of present himself to voters and maybe frame his campaign around. I'm not your normal Democrat. I'll stand up to my party when I need to. You know, the party's lost its way in some key respects, and I'm not that, which is, I think, a commentary on how rough things are looking for Democrats right now. And the problem with that approach from Ryan, which makes sense on some level, at least theoretically, is he is not an independent-minded Democrat. He is a lockstep Biden-Harris-Pelosi Democrat. He has voted— 100% of the time with Joe Biden, 100%. Every single vote he has taken has been with the Biden agenda during the Biden presidency. That is not an independent maverick thinker. That is a rubber stamp partisan, which is not really what you want from a Democrat if you're in the state of Ohio, which has gotten redder in recent years. So Brett was asking about that voting record. And Joe Biden is coming to Ohio. He'll be there this week or at least in the next couple of days. I'm sure he'll be back at some point. The question was, does Tim Ryan want to campaign with the president, with whom he's voted 100% of the time, but from whom he's kind of trying to distance himself? It's a difficult dance given the actual record here. Brett tried to get into that with Ryan, who was very eager to punt and pivot, cut 18.
4: I'm tired of the Democrat-Republican thing. I want us to move forward together and and start to heal and rebuild the middle class and beat china and i want to be the face and the voice of this campaign and i don't want any distractions i don't need anybody to prop me up like jd vance did even from the sitting president of the united line. states of your party right i'm sorry even from the sitting president of the united states of your party who you well, voted we, we'll with 100 of the time we'll make that decision uh, as the uh, campaign continues
0: Uh, Get back to me on that, the whole Joe Biden thing. Oh, he's just so tired of the Democrat-Republican thing. He's just so tired of that, except when he's voting. When he's voting in Congress, he's not tired of it at all. It's what he does every day. He votes 100% of the time with his party. You can't be a lockstep, reflexive, mindless partisan and then decry partisanship. I'm sorry, Tim. I I know that he's got... His own brand that he's trying to create, he's trying to invent. It's like a reinvention, like reinventing Tim. But there's a voting record there. Another question that he was really kind of dodging around was on abortion. And I think it's probably for good reason. He is particularly craven on this issue. But ultimately, finally, Brett Baer got him to admit. That Tim Ryan, Mr. Moderate, is not in favor of any restrictions on abortion at all, including up to the moment of birth, which is just – that's a position held by roughly 12 percent of the country and yet 90 percent of the Democrats in Washington. It is grotesque. It is radical. It is extreme. I can understand why he wouldn't really want to answer the question directly. It took multiple tries from Brett, but ultimately they landed here in cut 19.
4: My question was about any limits to abortion at any point, you know, late term, anything. Look, you, you, you got to leave it up to the to the woman because you so and no, I sitting here a bunch of. Well, you and I sitting here can't account for all of the different scenarios that a, a woman Dealing with the complexities of a pregnancy are going through. Okay. How can you and I figure that? out?
0: All right. So that the answer is. Yes. Yes, he supports abortion for all nine months for any reason. That is the Tim Ryan position. Now, here's what's interesting about Tim Ryan. Did you know that when he sought office and ran for office and first became a member of Congress, that he billed himself and presented himself as a pro life Democrat? Oh, yes. Tim Ryan was a pro life Democrat. That's how he won over some, you know, blue collar, moderate Catholic voters in Ohio. But now he has to run statewide. Now he's part of the national Democratic establishment. And it is required for you to be an abortion fanatic. In today's Democratic Party. So his principles, his beliefs, supposedly, that he was a pro-life Democrat. Are gone at ah, poof, poof, gone. You know, he probably wasn't as pro-life as, you know, many others, myself included. But he was much more moderate and sensible early in his career. It wasn't even that long ago. But now, Mr. Pro-life Democrat is on national television saying that there should be no legal limitations whatsoever on abortion up until the moment of crowning at month nine. That's the pro-life Democrat now that he's running statewide in today's Democratic Party. Disgusting. I know people are saying J.D. Vance had to contort himself and debase himself to become the nominee. And I think there's some truth to that on the Republican side based on J.D.'s previous persona and what he's done and what he said in the campaign. But talk about another debasement and contortion act. That would be so-called moderate Tim Ryan, who's just tired of the the partisanship, you guys, except when he's a party-line Democrat 100% of the time. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. Thanks for being here every weekday, 3 to 6 p.m. That's Eastern Time. GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast is free of charge on demand. With us now is Matt Finn, Fox News national correspondent, although right now he's serving as an international correspondent. He is in Lviv, Ukraine, covering the war. And Matt, it's good to have you back.
5: Thanks for having me, Guy.
0: There's this New York Times story getting a lot of attention today, understandably, that – Says that U.S. intelligence is assisting the Ukrainians in identifying and killing Russian generals on the battlefield. When I first saw this headline, I thought to myself, well, obviously, right, we have extremely good intelligence resources. Of course, we're helping them. But despite that being my underlying assumption all along, it hadn't really been explicitly said. And so I wonder how it's playing in Ukraine, what you're hearing about that. Because in some ways, you can sort of poke the bear and help the Ukrainians kill Russian generals. That's a separate thing if you're doing it with some plausible deniability, then blabbing about it to the media, and then that coming out. I wonder if that's something of an escalation, even though it's one that might make me want to pump my fist. I'm glad that we're doing this. I'm just a little bit surprised that we're talking about it.
5: Yeah, you know, people that are critical of this report say, why reveal this information? Like you said, we we probably understand that this intelligence is being provided to Ukraine. Let it be. Let it go. You know, but here in Ukraine, I'm on the far western side, um, in Lviv. This is a very western city. The majority of people here I'm talking to are very, very pro-democracy. They're very pro-United States. They are very grateful for all of the support and the billions of dollars in weaponry that the United States uh, is sending here. You know, it almost feels like we're, you know, partner countries right now. Uh, people are just so grateful to the United States. I haven't asked anyone specifically about this story today, but what I can tell you is people here say things like Putin can go to hell. Thank you, America. We love you, America. So I can only imagine that, you know, Ukrainians here are grateful that the United States is providing this at- intelligence.
0: Our colleague Griff Jenkins just recently had a sit-down interview with President Zelensky of Ukraine. He accused the Russians of, among other things, using Nazi-style propaganda, and I just wonder what your takeaways were from that conversation. Obviously, Zelensky has been a very savvy player when it comes to the international media and making sure that he's getting his message and his country's message out there. He's been quite effective.
5: Yeah. And Zelensky said, you know, I'm used to I'm used to jabs like this. I'm used to hits like this. And and he flipped it and said, I think that world leaders need to respond to this type of rhetoric. You know, saying we don't need to wait for Holocaust Remembrance Day. We don't need to wait for official days. Let's talk about this right now. You know, and it's notable because there is a big day coming up. There's an official day coming up, which is May 9th. Uh, And a lot of people expect Vladimir Putin might do something extreme on or before that date, next Monday, because that's Victory Day in Russia when they celebrate uh, the defeat over the Nazis. And so, I think it's kind of notable that um, Zelensky mentioned, "Let's not just, you know, let's not just talk about official days. Let's not wait to talk about important days. Let's talk about the stuff right now." When here we are talking about this important day coming up, and I can tell you, guy, that in Lviv uh, and in Ukraine, you know, when we go to villages, when we get outside of the city, people are a bit uneasy about this May 9th date. You know, people are talking about what could happen uh, on or before then.
0: Yeah, because there are discussions that Putin might try to put together a sham referendum in the east where he would then have some sort of an excuse to say, OK, we now have the blessing of the people here to declare this to be you know, Russian territory and therefore the war that's happening right now is an attack on Russia itself and they might try to mobilize the entire population. It seems like there's a lot of bad options left. For the Russians who are humiliated, who are desperate, but also don't really want to back down. And the May 9th date that you just mentioned is circled for a lot of people. What might Putin do on that day? Matt, what are you hearing about the progress of the war effort in the east? I know the Russians were trying to reconstitute their forces and maybe score some victories there. It seems like that isn't really going well for them, just like their attempts to take Kiev didn't work well for them. Are there any updates on that front? I know you're on the other side of the country, but what are you hearing?
5: You know, pretty much every source of information we have for the actual front lines, and the wars, says that – Russia is not gaining ground. They are really focused right now on the city of Mariupol. We've been reporting extensively on that now for weeks. It's a dire, horrific situation where uh, Ukrainian Marines, along with innocent civilians, have been living underground for months, you know, hold up underground, hiding from the Russians, even as Russians drop bombs on them from above. Uh, and just today, uh, we have learned that Russians are now Physically storming a steel plant where the majority of the um, Marines and civilians are hiding out, so they've been dropping bombs. It hasn't been working. Now they're going in by foot and with tanks. We're told, uh, and that's a pretty dire situation because the the people who remain uh, in the tunnels underneath the Azovstal steel plant in Mariupol basically now have to fight back, surrender, or perhaps die. I'm sure they're weak. They haven't. Some of them haven't seen sunlight in months. They probably don't have food, water, medicine, and now the uh, the Russians. Uh, forces are storming the steel plant there in Mariupol so that is i think that is one of the most critical situations in Ukraine right now as far as a humanitarian front and also simply on the front lines because Russia really want to claim control of that city. A couple of weeks ago, they said they had that city under control, when they really don't, because they're now storming this plant uh, to try to, uh, you know, perhaps kill the remaining Marines or forcing them to surrender. I also talked to a mayor uh, today. I did an interview with a mayor uh, just south of Lviv. Uh, he said the intelligence he is getting is that Russia really is not gaining a lot of ground um, uh, uh, in the southeast portion and uh, the uh, of Ukraine. And he actually I asked him personally, I said, you know, it, are you guys using the American weaponry that we provided? Have you seen it? He goes, absolutely. And it is helping.
0: Matt, how long have you been in Lviv?
5: I've been in Lviv for about three and a half weeks. I just want to tell you right now that the air raid sirens are going off right now. Uh, This is perhaps a daily occurrence, sometimes multiple times a day. And um, it's something you kind of just become used to. A lot of people around here become used to. Um, You are supposed to shelter in place when these sirens go off and then wait for the second siren, um, which would give the all clear um, every week that I've been here in the Lviv region, there have been missile strikes here, a notable missile strikes, some of them deadly, some of them not far from where uh, we are staying. Um, in fact, a couple nights ago, I was <clears throat> getting ready to go to bed. Uh, the electricity started flickering. Uh, something weird was going on. And then boom, boom, I heard two loud thuds. Um, we went up to the fourth floor, looked over a balcony, and there was uh, thick black smoke all over the city. Um, mm-hmm. So the, the threat of, of missiles, the threat of death is is. From border to border, east to west in this city, Um, you know, Russia's missiles have killed people in in Lviv, which is, you know, just east of the Polish border. So the war is uh, has engulfed this entire country and people are trying to go on with their lives. They're trying to live as best they can. Um, But the threat is very real. Um, And, you know, just in reporting the atrocities and the human suffering and the videos that we have seen uh, and the information we're getting it's just it's heartbreaking it is heart-wrenching um, that this country has been invaded and so many people are basically being tortured I mean if you really just take a look at Mariupol there are people who have been living in tunnels for months you know there's videos of mothers doing interviews saying me and my children have been down here since February you know and then mm. well, I spoke with the Red Cross today and the UN <clears throat> every single day they're trying to get as many people out of mariupol in those tunnels as they can through these humanitarian corridors and people who do get out you know the couple dozen who have say i haven't seen the sun in weeks and and there's they have this gaze over them you know it's almost like they're they're different now you know and and some of them say i this is such a horror i can't even put words to it so the amount of human suffering that really is happening here in ukraine cannot be overstated
0: Yeah. I mean, how could they be the same? Of course, they are different people now living through all of this. And you've been covering it for almost a month from Lviv. Matt Finn, Fox News correspondent. Matt, thank you for your time. Thank you for your reporting. And please stay safe. Thank you. We'll take a break. We'll come right back. Governor Chris Christie, former governor of New Jersey, joins us next on The Guy Benson Show.
3: Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson.
0: We return to the Guy Benson Show. Very happy to have you all along here on the program. GuyBensonShow.com. That's our website. And the podcast here is always free. You can get it at that website. GuyBensonShow.com. You can go to FoxNewsPodcast.com. Or you can find it wherever you get your podcast. It is free. It is on demand every day. So I saw this... Development And I guess it was sort of inevitable, given the dysfunction and brokenness of our national debates over almost everything. But a radical left wing group. Has now posted on the Internet, a Google map that pinned the home addresses of Supreme Court justices. They're calling themselves Ruth sent us Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I wonder if they've ever read what Governor, what uh, Justice Ginsburg actually said about Roe. She was actually kind of critical. She liked the outcome, but she wasn't a big fan of the jurisprudence. They call themselves Ruth Sent us, and they've created a Google map where they have pinned the home addresses of, quote-unquote, extremist justices on the court. So not all the home addresses, just Barrett, Kavanaugh, Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch, and Roberts. So the, the extremists that make up the majority of the court. We've seen protests at people's houses, their private residences, terrorizing people's families in other contexts during the Trump administration. We saw that, for example, at the DHS Secretary's House. We've seen it at senators' homes. We've seen people hounded in public. Look, if you have a problem with a Supreme Court decision, you can go to the Supreme Court and you can protest. You can vote in elections. Going to someone's house, this is a very dangerous game to play. It is unacceptable. Someone could get hurt at some point if this is the way we go. This is intimidation against justices. That's flat out, straight up what we're talking about here. And I wonder if the White House will have it in them to condemn this. Because they wouldn't condemn the leak, which is an egregious breach. They wouldn't condemn that. No comment. Will they condemn their ideological allies posting the street addresses of the houses of Supreme Court justices? I wonder. I don't know what the answer to that is going to be. We'll see. Joining me now is Chris Christie. He was the 55th governor of the state of New Jersey. And, Governor, it's good to have you back on the show.
6: Thanks for having me, Guy.
0: Well, you just heard what I was talking about, this new development in a pretty bumpy, wild week of controversy around the issue of abortion in the Supreme Court uh, with now, I guess, sort of the targets on the backs of these justices, uh, your reaction?
6: Well, look, it's it's awful and it's appalling and and you know and it's dangerous. You know, as a former federal prosecutor um, who had, you know, the son of a of a district judge in in my state uh, murdered um, at their home, uh, I know that this is not hypothetical. It's not theoretical. These kind of things can happen, and I think that. The folks who do this kind of thing are incredibly reckless, and the White House, at a minimum, should be denouncing them, as should everybody who has been or is in public life and has a family that they love and care about. Uh, These things are not theoretical. They're real. And I lived through that for eight years as governor with young children, and this is not the way these things should be handled.
0: What do you think of the leak? The White House wouldn't comment on it. I know Republicans are talking about it. Democrats are sort of saying, oh, you know, that's a distraction. Uh, It's not necessarily the central issue, which is the actual issue itself. But the leak is also quite shocking. And I think process really does matter when it comes to the mechanics of our republic.
6: It's breathtaking, Guy. When I first saw the alert come across, I thought that the court had issued a decision. And then when I read the story, it is breathtaking that someone within the inner sanctum of that court violated the most precious thing you could violate there as an employee of the court, which is to violate the sanctity and the secrecy of the deliberations of the nine justices. And for those of us who have some familiarity, as I know you do, with the way they make these decisions. Um, the circulation of these opinions and people's ability to be able to, you know, talk about it, um, you know, is is a serious matter, and it's the way they make decisions. And now, if you're a justice of this court, are you going to circulate opinions again? Are you going to allow employees of the court to participate in that? It's um, it's a really serious thing for our jurisprudence going forward. I know the Democrats don't want to talk about this because they have an obsession. With abortion, and that's all they want to talk about. But this is a, this is, in addition to that, an important topic as well.
0: They're not the only ones with an obsession on abortion, including a very radical agenda on abortion. That I think that label and those words apply very much to sadly most of the press corps and the journalist class in the country. They are extremely biased on this question. Newsrooms are hugely insulated and insular on these questions. And they often act as just straight-up activists for the abortion lobby. That's what we see from journalists all the time. And for that reason, Governor, I think that you're going to see the press, whether it's actually going to help or not, you know, from their perspective, and help the Democratic Party, I'm not necessarily convinced of that. But they are going to try to make the midterm election about abortion to the greatest extent that they can – And if that means distorting things and, you know, asking gotcha questions, whatever it's going to take, they'll do that because it's part of the agenda. What is your advice to Republicans who are running at every level of government from Senate races to governor's races to, you know, state legislative races and on down when the Democrats and especially when the media ask questions on the tricky issue of abortion month after month after month? What's your guidance, what's your counsel to Republicans about an effective way to communicate on this issue?
6: Speak directly, honestly, and from your heart. What the American people understand is that this is an emotional issue. And the reason it's emotional, Guy, is because it involves life. And life, every life, is an individual gift from God. And every American understands that. And so speak about it in a way, no matter what your position is on this issue, speak about it in a way that is direct and is honest and comes from your heart. Don't dodge it. Don't try to be cute. Don't play into their game. Answer the questions directly and honestly. Look, you know, Guy, our home state of New Jersey, by polling at least, is a very pro-choice state. And I'm the first and still only – pro-life governor who was ever elected in New Jersey. And the way it happened was because I didn't hide it. I spoke about it candidly and directly, told them why I felt the way I did, and told them exactly how I feel both from my heart and as a lawyer from my education. And I was never penalized by the people of New Jersey for that position. And quite frankly, with $5 gallon gasoline And eight and a half percent inflation, we can hardly get out of the supermarket at less than 100 bucks um, and crime in our streets. Let the Democrats make this race from their perspective about abortion. (laughs) Excuse me. We'll win by even more.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like, okay, all these issues are facing the country. You've got crime. You've got the border crisis, which is about to get worse. You've got all the inflation economic problems, as you mentioned, gas prices on and on it goes people mad about woke excess and all of it and the democrats i guess and the media are trying to convince themselves that nine month abortion nine month rather abortion is the issue that's going to save them because that's that's the bill that they're going to bring up that the bill that they're talking about bringing up next week is to enshrine a law in this country where it's abortion legal for any reason to the moment of birth i guess they feel like this is a big you know, political windfall for them? I, I don't know if they've seen the polls or even care about what the American people actually believe on this issue.
6: Let them stay out of touch, Guy. Let them continue to talk about nine-month abortion. Let me tell you, I became pro-life in 1995 because at a two and a half months of my second child's pregnancy, I went to the prenatal visit with my wife. She was not showing at all at two and a half months. They put the Doppler on her abdomen, and I could hear that heartbeat as strong and sure as I could hear my own. And I said to myself, there is no way that that's not a life. And if that's a life, that's a life that needs to be protected. And so that's what I'm talking about, Guy. Let them talk about all of these other things and radicalize it and tell me that at nine months in the womb, let alone two and a half months, that that's not a life, that's not a human being. I'm sorry, I disagree. And if they want to have that fight on that ground, I think we as Republicans have to say we stand up for life. We believe in the sanctity of human life. And, yes, in my case, do I believe in exceptions that I see as self-defense exceptions like rape and incest in the life of the mother? Yes. But those are exceptions and rare exceptions to what they're calling for, which is nine-month abortion, which is murder.
0: Yeah, elective. Elective abortion, I mean, it's just crazy uh, and it, it's disgusting. Governor, we have about a minute left, so I want to quickly squeeze it in. Another issue that the media and the Dems would love to run on and talk a lot about for the next three years, frankly, is the 2020 election and January 6th and Trump and the election theories and all of that. What's your one minute elevator pitch to Republicans on how to deal with those questions that are going to be inevitable and ubiquitous heading into November?
6: I, I, that's why I wrote the book last year called Republican Rescue. To say to, our, to say to our voters and the American people that the Republican Party is looking forward, we're looking forward to solve issues of crime and immigration and inflation, and bring our country back to where we are respected around the world and defend not only ourselves, but make sure that people who are engaged in democracy around the world are protected as well and given the chance to protect themselves. Those are the things we need to be talking about. Any candidate, any Republican, Who talks about 2020 or answers a question about 2020, except to say the election was over and decided and we're moving on, is making an enormous mistake. They shouldn't be a candidate if that's what they're they're going to put forward, because doing that is a losing strategy.
0: All right, Governor Chris Christie, 55th governor of the state of New Jersey, a Republican governor. We always appreciate it. Thank you.
6: Great day. Thanks for having me on, Guy.
0: Great to be here. You bet. Always enjoy it. We will take a quick break. We will be right back. It is The Guy Benson Show. Thanks for listening. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Guy Benson Show. I'm home after so much time on the road. That feels good. And since we're back, you know what? It's time for woke Woketales, Woke woo so we have a new soundbite from sweet, sweet Nina Jankowitz, woke Mary Poppins, who's now in charge of the Ministry of Truth or whatever from the Biden team. This one, unfortunately, or fortunately, actually, is not a song that she's written because I can only take so much of that. This was a few remarks that she made in a speech last year in Cleveland calling people concerned about critical race theory agents and spreaders of disinformation When, in fact, I think there's a strong case to be made that her point is indeed disinformation or misinformation, which is the whole problem. All of her mistakes, all of her disinformation, all of her misinformation, all of her spin, all of her political commentaries cut in one direction. And I know that Jen Psaki in the White House insists, oh, this will just be scrupulously nonpartisan, non-ideological. It's not about what Americans say or think. I don't believe them. I don't believe them because they lie to us all the time. And this woman is obviously not just a partisan, but kind of a wackadoodle at that. So here she is saying if you're concerned about CRT or if a media organization covers the issue of CRT, really, they're just disinformation gurus and you should ignore them. Cut 21.
1: Critical race theory has become one of those hot-button issues that uh, the Republicans and and other, you know, disinformers um, who are engaged in disinformation for profit, frankly. There are plenty of, you know, media outlets that are making money off of this, too, have, have seized on.
0: Okay, so let's profit off of some disinformation here, shall we? Let's talk about critical race theory, which they tell us, people like Sweet Nina, tell us it's just all in our heads. It's just in our imaginations. It is a fever dream of the right wing conjured up out of fear and bigotry to scare people about something that doesn't really exist and isn't being taught in schools. And if anything, it's this abstruse legal theory that's in graduate schools and law schools. But that's it. And all these weirdo parents are just imagining things when there are highly racialized things showing up. And their kids' curricula. That's their position. And if you disagree with that position, citing a whole mountain of evidence that we've gone through and we add to on this show all the time, according to the Ministry of Truth czar, you're a disinformer. You're a Republican or another form of disinformer. She definitely sounds very down the middle and committed to truth, doesn't she? Well, here's just the latest example of, I guess, us profiting off of disinformation by citing an actual example of this happening in the real world. I don't know how Nina Jankowicz would deal with this, but here's the headline, foxnews.com. D.C. Elementary School gave four-year-olds an anti-racism training asking them to identify racist family members. Quote, it's not your fault for having white privilege, but it is your fault if you choose to ignore it. A presentation told kids age pre-K through third grade at this D.C. elementary school. Kids as young as four. This was an anti-racism lesson, which is straight out of the playbook of CRT. It happened in November, it looks like. And among other things, these little tiny kids were asked to squeal and tell on family members of theirs, That might be racist. I mean, this is beyond inappropriate. This is an insane thing to be asking kids to do. And they were given a presentation by one of these crazy activists named. Doyen Richards. And Richards has something called an anti-racism fight club fist book for kids. That explains, quote, white people are part of a society that benefits them in almost every instance. And it's, quote, as if white people walk around with an invisible force field because they hold all the power in America. If you're a white person, white privilege is something you were born with. And it simply means that your life is not more difficult due to the color of your skin. And then within this program and within the materials, the children are asked a series of questions. Where do you see racism in yourself? This requires true soul searching. Be real with yourself. Don't feel guilt. Don't feel shame. Own it. It's the first step in becoming an anti-racist. These are five-year-olds, four-year-olds. They're probing them, asking them to, what, confess to inner racism while tattling on family members that might be racist. This is precisely the kind of thing. That is egregiously inappropriate. It is toxic. It is poisonous. They're filling little kids' heads with this garbage. And then they want to turn around and tell us none of this is happening. It's all in our heads. You bigots, you disinformers. So that's your daily dose of disinformation, I guess, here on The Guy Benson Show as part of Woke Tales. final hour of the show, the happy hour upcoming. Molly Hemingway is here next. Actually, this next topic dovetails nicely. You don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. It's our final hour here on the Guy Benson Show on this Thursday from the Tony Snow Radio Studios in Washington, D.C. I'm Guy Benson. Thank you very much for listening between 3 and 6 p.m. Eastern every weekday. GuyBensonShow.com, that's our website. Podcast is free on demand. GuyBensonShow.com. On social media, at GuyBensonShow. That's our handle, Twitter and Instagram. If you'd like to follow me personally, you can do that as well, at Benson. And this hour is sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink, which is so good. And it's almost long drink season. I mean, it's always long drink season, to be honest. But it's especially good in the warm weather. And the warm weather is coming. TheLongDrink.com is their website. They're expanding big time all across the country. Lots more news on that to come in the weeks ahead. TheLongDrink.com. Always drink responsibly. 21 plus only. With us now is Molly Hemingway, editor-in-chief at The Federalist, and a Fox News contributor, best-selling author. Molly, it's good to have you back here.
1: Great to be here with you.
0: I want to get into a few different issues with you, but let's start with the big story of the week, especially here in Washington. The Supreme Court, the leak, abortion jurisprudence, abortion politics. I think it is a very weak and yet highly prevalent argument that people like me, men, shouldn't really speak out on this issue because it's a women's issue. I addressed that point earlier in the show, but it's one of the most frequent arguments, if you can call it that, that I encounter on a regular basis out in the world, on social media. You see it in cable news debates. You are a woman. You are one of the majority of American women who support significant restrictions and limitations on abortion, and I guess you're allowed to say these things that I'm supposedly not, even though they also... We'll call you misogynist for the exact same views. I'm just curious what you think about the procedure side of this with the leak and then just the substance of the issue and what the Supreme Court appears poised to do.
1: Right. So first off, I do want to say I think I I hate when I hear people say that people aren't allowed to talk about something, whether that's abortion or something else. First of all, we are all people who have been born. We all have a vested interest. We all have relationships with people we all care about humanity. And so of course, we all should be talking about it. And that's the sign of a healthy society that you don't say, "Oh, because I can't get pregnant, I don't I don't I'm not going to think about this." I mean, abortion is something that has negatively affected our culture for a very long period of time and just as, you know, a northerner could say in the You know, pre Civil War, say, oh well, I don't have slaves, and I don't, I don't care about it, and I, I have no right to speak about it. You have an obligation to speak about it if you see an attack on human rights in the in the world, and if there's anything you can do about it. But yeah, it was a big, big, unprecedented leak. I mean, it's not that there aren't leaks from the Supreme Court occasionally, but nothing like this, nothing like the actual draft opinion that was sent around in February for the majority. Um, It was not totally shocking that there is a majority to overturn Roe. I think both both sides had expected this and they just weren't sure if it was five votes or six or more. But to be able to read the opinion, the draft opinion, and just it, it's really well done. I highly encourage people to read it, all 67 pages. Really good argumentation, it's, it operates in very good faith. It takes on different arguments and analyzes them and really makes the case for why it was inappropriate and unconstitutional for the court to take this issue away from the people and why the proper remedy, given all of the cases we've seen in the last 50 years and everything, is to return it to the states where it belongs.
0: Meanwhile, I want to turn to the brouhaha down in Florida, not over there abortion law, which got really very little attention overall, the 15-week ban similar to the Mississippi law that is the basis for the Dobbs case. But this is the parental rights and LGBT law that some people called don't say gay. I thought that was a misnomer. I've given all my thoughts on that. After that passed and after there was a big sort of political intervention by Disney where they were blessing – walkouts by their employees and vowing to tirelessly work to get the law overturned. There's been a backlash to that backlash, and we discussed it here. I'm not a big fan of Republicans doing what Democrats do or conservatives doing what leftists do by using the levers of power of government to punish an entity, in this case a private corporation, for their political opinions or political speech. I also have very little patience and time for the preening of Disney and their abject hypocrisy and double standards. And I also understand the whole fire with fire argument. You cannot unilaterally disarm. I've really thought a lot about this, and I, I go back and forth. Ultimately, I was not a fan of the punishing of Disney tactic. However, one of the caveats that I gave on the air was, if you could tell me that this would actually work, if this would actually let's say, bully corporations back toward neutrality because they're getting all the bullying basically from one direction, that might make me reconsider this or at least think about it again. And lo and behold, here's a story in the Wall Street Journal just a few days ago. Headline, Disney's clash with Florida has CEOs on alert. The state's pushback against the company shows the risks executives may confront. And the lead of the story says this, In private meetings and executive coaching sessions over the past few weeks, top business leaders have been asking a version of the same question. How can we avoid becoming the next Walt Disney company? And it goes on to this consternation and and to describe the consternation among a lot of these executives who are seeing what happened with Disney and said, you know what, maybe that's not the direction that we want to go in our company. The stock for Disney has tumbled Over recent weeks and months, this has not really gone well for them. I just wonder, from your perspective, Molly, where do you come down on this? And do you think the sort of example-making of Disney by DeSantis and the Florida Republicans might actually be reaping some benefits here culturally?
1: Yeah, I haven't studied the particular means by which Florida fought back against uh, Disney's activism, enough to argue whether that particular approach was good or bad, but I think you just nailed it with that. It's not sufficient to just let this bullying happen one way with no pushback. You have to have costs associated. Corporations' launch into politics has been very corrosive to the body politic, and it has received almost no pushback. And it's just important that people understand that there are costs associated with it. I was horrified by when Joe Biden asked corporations or told corporations to economically sanction the state of Georgia because they passed broadly popular voting integrity laws, such as requiring a voter ID, something that literally 85 percent of the country supports. But he told these corporations to boycott. They said, sir, yes, sir. They immediately – engaged in horrific behavior against the voters of Georgia and really all Americans and the Major League Baseball pulled their all-star game from Atlanta I was so upset by this I still can't watch baseball but there was nobody speaking for people like me and so and and by the way Molly
0: just just to jump in I was very much up in arms as a big baseball fan I was very angry about that we really torched MLB and the commissioner in particular on this show over and over again have you noticed that with that law Now in place. And there's not a bunch of voter suppression happening all over the state of Georgia. Just the opposite. People are more engaged than ever. This was a bunch of lies, a pack of lies about what was actually in that law, which was very common sense and mainstream in a lot of ways. Have you noticed that some of those loud voices initially have sort of been slinking away back into the shadows? Coca-Cola said, oh, you know what? Never mind. Let's. We're going to try to pivot away from that. Delta Airlines kind of backed off. Major League Baseball, even the commissioner said, let's not maybe do that again. I wonder if maybe they're getting their hands burned on the stove a little bit here. That might not be the worst thing.
1: I have no doubt that the backing away that you have sensed, and that you, I, I totally agree with it. Major League Baseball was never particularly political. Two years ago, they began being political. Last year, they did their stunt. With this um, fighting voter integrity laws. But then this year, they seem to have been realizing that that was very bad for them. I wonder, though, if it's too late. I did also notice Delta, Coca-Cola, they've also backed away from their far left political activism. But you really need to send the message that just you don't get to do this thing where you work for the Democrat Party over and over and over again. You go too far and you simply ease off for a year or two. There have to be costs associated with it. And I'm not, I don't put too fine a point on what those costs are or how to engage in it, but something needs to be done. And I do think that if Disney has not you know, equal privileges but special privileges that Florida gave to them, that Disney should not go to war with the voters of Florida. And if they do go to war with the voters of Florida after they've been given special privileges, people of Florida have every right to say we're going to reconsider whether you get this special deal that we gave to you sort of on belief that this would be good for you and good for us. And, Which um, it was.
0: I mean, it's worked extremely well for the state of Florida and for Disney for a very long time, and that counts in my book as it's a successful partnership between the private sector and the government, and there are a bunch of entities that have these sort of special deals. They only targeted Disney's as a response to this. Again, I'm not comfortable with that. My one sort of disclaimer, and asterisk, was if this is a way to shoot a very clear signal across the bow of corporate America in a way that actually has teeth and might get results, I might not be as viscerally opposed to it as I have been initially. And at least this Wall Street Journal story provides anecdotal evidence that you've got CEOs looking at what happened and saying, let's not do that. Let's not go there. Let's not be the next Disney. And I think that that is at least, you know, the DeSantis defenders, and I usually am one. On this one, I disagreed. I think they can point to this as a counterpoint. I think it's a very powerful one. And here's another one, Molly, related to this exact same controversy. You mentioned in Georgia that the voting law turned out to be rather popular because it was mainstream and the demagoguery against it was built on dishonesty. On the so-called don't say gay parental rights law, Fox News, our employer, has a new poll out just this week on this very subject, and I think the results are interesting and instructive. We'll break them down with Molly Hemingway on The Guy Benson Show Happy Hour right after this.
3: The Guy Benson Show. More next.
0: I'm Guy Benson, back with Molly Hemingway. And before the break, I was talking about this new Fox News poll on the Florida law, the parental rights, LGBT law, And Fox asked this question to all Americans, so this was not a state-level poll, this was a national poll. Quote, some states have proposed laws that ban teachers from discussing sexual orientation or gender identity with students before the fourth grade. Would you favor or oppose that law in your state? And I would just say very quickly, the way that that question is phrased actually goes further than even the Florida law. The Florida law does not bar discussion of those issues in classrooms. It bars instruction on those issues, meaning like in the curriculum, actual instruction materials. I think that's a meaningful distinction. So this is actually a broader wording that goes further than what Florida did. But still, that was the question. The response is this. Fifty-five percent of Americans said they favor that kind of law in their state. Forty-one percent oppose So that's a double-digit majority in favor of something like this. And when you look at the breakdown, Democrats are opposed to it. But you still have almost 40 percent of Democrats in favor of something like this. So it splits the Democrats. Independents go a majority in favor of the law. Republicans break very favorably for the law. And parents, by a 21-point margin, are in favor of the law that's described in the poll question. So Disney really went to war over – a piece of legislation that I have some issues with, not the K-3 through part. I think that's completely fine and common sense, but that's where Disney decided to plant their flag. I wonder if it's not just what the state of Florida has done and the move that they've done to sort of strip away some of these privileges, but also they woke up day after day looking at polls saying, oh gosh, these very loud woke people inside our company and outside activists and agitators, they actually don't speak for most of the parents who – you know, give us money. They're our, they're the core of our customer base. I wonder if this is another element of Disney getting singed.
1: I mean, how bad could it be if Disney gets on the outs with parents? What how important are parents <laughs> to their business model? No, just kidding. But you know, that poll for, that you cited is actually one of the friendlier polls to Disney that I've seen. We we use Susquehanna for our polling and they asked on, on these issues of just like what do you think about laws like this one that um protect elementary school children from being forcibly exposed to sexual topics by school employees without parental consent. And in our polling, it was huge majorities across the board, including 59 percent of Democrats. And then my favorite, 69 percent of self-described progressive liberals.
0: And that's so, at the Federalist, right? That's the Federalist Susquehanna poll.
1: Yeah. And that just came out last week. And so these numbers are horrific for Disney and for other people. But, it, you know, it's interesting because While there are all sorts of things to debate about, again, yeah, what what type of constraints you put on uh, talking to young children by school employees without parental consent, that's a totally legitimate debate. But the way that corporate media caricatured this debate was horrible, and yet it still didn't affect the way parents thought about it or just the vast majority of Americans in
0: general. I mean, yeah, they Um, screamed don't say gay over and over again for weeks. And they still ended up with these polling results. Can well, you imagine you know, I, if the media were more even handed? I mean, this would be just a disaster for the Democrats.
1: OK, God, it already remember is. remember when the, I think it was the mayor of New York City put up billboards in Florida saying, yes. like, yes. gay people come up to New York. And I was like, I think gay people are feeling pretty much OK in Florida, like knowing what I know.
6: Uh-huh. I think you, you
1: know, it just was like so, people were not thinking clearly through what Florida is what its culture of tolerance is like, what its reputation is. You know, they just the media portrayal of this was Well, and the
0: billboard exactly. said come to New York cuz you can say whatever you want in New York yeah. as if you <laughs> couldn't say certain words in Florida, which has no relation to the legislation. Yes. I mean, it's just it's so stupid. There's so much stupidity here, Molly.
1: Yes. And also uh New York is going in the opposite direction of people feeling like they aren't free to say what they think or believe in, you know, in New York City at least. So, uh just a very very interesting approach but these are issues you know parental rights are big and previously it wasn't viewed as, you know, parents are Democrat, parents are Republican, but the more that this becomes a partisan issue, that redounds to Republicans' benefit. If just being a parent who has a right to have some knowledge of what's going on in your children's school is something that Democrats are positioned as as opposing, that's not good for the Democrat Party. And it never was an issue. You know, this is one of those groups where you just, knowing someone was a parent didn't dictate what party you thought they were in. But the more abnormal that the Democrats are about you know, schools and what should be done in schools and how to teach kids about everything from history to racism to sex. Uh, That's that's a huge pickup for the Republican Party. And you and I saw that in Virginia, where people we know who never have voted Republican all of a sudden voted Republican, you know, for the first time either ever or in a long time uh, on this issue.
0: Molly, very quickly, last question. You're the co-author of Justice on Trial, the whole circus around the Kavanaugh confirmation. There are left wing groups now publishing supreme court justices home address saying that people should go and protest at their houses we've seen this tactic before it's sort of this unhinged left wing agitation that they try your reaction to that
1: i'm i'm appalled it's horrific i mean these some of these justices have young children they are putting personal identifying information on the internet for the purpose of bullying justices. And I just want to point out, we have had so much ink spent about January 6th and insurrections and a refusal to accept a Supreme Court opinion and an attempt to physically or otherwise intimidate justices is so bad. So it needs to be stopped.
0: Molly Hemingway, editor-in-chief at The Federalist, Fox News contributor. Her books are Justice on Trial, which she co-authored with One of her friends who we had on the show earlier this week. And then also, she's written Rigged, her own book that was a bestseller, came out more recently. Molly, always enjoy it. Thanks for stopping by.
1: Take care. Thank you.
0: And we'll be right back. It's the happy hour on The Guy Benson Show.
3: Talking about the issues you care about, Guy Benson.
0: Here on the happy hour on the Guy Benson Show, we welcome you back. GuyBensonShow.com for the free podcast every day. In our first hour earlier, we caught up with our friend and colleague Jessica Tarlock, co-host of The Five, one of the lefty-leaning people here at Fox. She's also head of research at Bustle and our chief romance correspondent at the Guy Benson Show. All politics today, here's part of that discussion. She obviously ran to be his number two, his vice president. And kind of that role is to support the administration and its policies. You know, When does that become politically tricky where the vice president kind of starts to back away from the brand because she wants to differentiate her brand moving forward? I feel like you know the rift that's been reported there in the White House and the administration between the president's staff and the vice president's staff, this could maybe deepen it if they feel like she's off on her own track now.
2: I think it certainly could, though most of the anger was coming from the Harris side anyway, right, that they were pissed off, that people weren't standing when she entered a room, which Dana Prino told us was not the norm anyway for a vice president of other administrations. Um, but yeah, Why
0: I, was she so caught up on that?
2: I think that – when you're struggling, and her own team would even admit that she was struggling, um, obviously had a lot of gaffes in, at big moments from, you know, standing right. there with the Polish president to just casual chats on Charlemagne the God's breakfast club, for instance. Sure. Um, you're frustrated, right? And you're just looking around for anything that can bolster your case for the, that you're being treated badly. And maybe she genuinely thinks that she's deserving of that and she's the second most powerful person in the United States of America. That's a big deal. Why well, get that. justice Alito by the way is I, I, I my house this week.
0: <laughs> when I have when I have dinner parties, I demand that everyone stand when I enter the room. That's just that's a rule Are you in the vice
2: house. president or president of your house? Adam Maybe yeah, be It listening. depends on the
0: day. Okay. <laughs> it depends on the day, right? Uh, and of course I'm joking about that. Incidentally, I you should check your email for a little a little evite. Ooh, um, I love we, an we evite. Yes, yeah, Senate. Your direction for more, uh, Memorial Day weekend—just a little oh. on air, a little on air heads up about our friendship here. Uh, okay. But please go on.
2: Um, so, I think that it's coming more from the Harris side anyway. I think that Biden and his people really just move ahead with what they're doing, and they've given her her portfolio. But that the unified team is not as important, certainly as we're heading into the midterms. Versus 2024, right? Like, he's going to need her for 2024, but what's going on right now, it's a lot of one-on-one stuff. And he needs her to take a lot of responsibility for it, an incredibly vast and important portfolio that she's been dealt. So I read into it that this is really coming from Harris's side and not coming from Biden's side.
0: My full interview with Jessica Tarloff and the entirety of today's show available as it is every day on our podcast on demand for free. No charge at all. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcasts.com. Or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, the home stretch, it is Cinco de Mayo. And even though producer Christine is on vacation, this is one of the most important holidays of the year to her. She's not Hispanic, but there's alcohol involved. So she wants to briefly step away from her vacation to come back and talk about it. That's all straight ahead on that home stretch. Stay with us.
3: For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com.
0: Bienvenidos to the home stretch on the Guy Benson show on this Thursday, Friday eve. Glad to have you all along. Podcast free upcharge, charge on demand every day guybensonshow.com, foxnews.podcast.com and wherever you get your podcast. Well, this week you may have noticed that as I've been doing the show out from Los Angeles and Southern California, our home stretches have lacked a certain personality, a certain voice, and that is of course See Diddy, Cookie Christine, our producer, because she's on vacation this week, coincidentally also in Southern California. I'm now safely back on the East Coast. She remains aimlessly wandering in Southern California, perhaps still looking for me because she was hoping that we might meet up. And, our, you know what, our just paths didn't cross for whatever reason, and the vacation continues for Christine. And normally we don't want to bother her while she's away with her family and just having fun and relaxing, but she almost insisted today. It's a very important day in her life. It is Cinco de Mayo, and it's actually not really that big of a holiday in Mexico. It's not even a national holiday or a a day that people get off in Mexico. It's become almost not a fake holiday but something that is mostly disproportionately celebrated by – People in the United States, many times white people, who just want an excuse to drink, and that just sounds like a certain someone that we all know and love here at the show. So joining us from California on her vacation, so I give her credit for that, is producer Christine Christine Felice Cinco de Mayo. Hola. Oh boy. Let's okay, let's stop right there. We're gonna I think we've come so close already to being offensive. So we're just gonna speak in English now, Christine. How is the vacation going?
7: Um, The vacation is going very well. I have not had my uh, margarita yet today. I figured I would go on air first and then I'll, you know, pour the drinks. But uh, yeah, no, L.A. is good. Um, I'm sure you're not surprised by this, but I think I'm more of an East Coast kind of gal. I kind of feel like I stand out a little bit here.
0: Well, you stand out anywhere for various reasons. But, yeah, you kind of stick out like a sore thumb on the West Coast to a certain extent. But the one thing I will say, having been there for days, the weather really is very good.
7: Oh, it truly is um, unbelievable. We're at the pool right now. I just came up to the room to to call in. But, um, I mean— I was worried about the weather because it kept staying low 70s. I'm like, that doesn't seem like cool weather. But, boy, is the sun very different in Southern California uh, compared to, uh, say, New Jersey, northern
0: New Jersey. But, no, oh, it's it, the is, same, it is, it is the same sun.
7: hits yeah, it, a little different here. Don't, maybe it's, it's a little different. different
0: okay, but... that's fair. What have you done to enjoy oh. sort of the the lay of the land out in Southern California? I'm very Eager. I, now I'm, like, curious guy here. What have you been up to?
7: So we went to Universal Studios, but we just did City Walk because uh, my husband was working, so we didn't want to, you know, do Universal itself. We may do that tomorrow. Uh, we took, it's really took fun. Down t- Is it? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping. We're, we're thinking about it. Let, I'm going to ask you. You're going to pick what we're doing tomorrow. But I took her to the Santa Monica Pier. We okay. um, did the rides there, and then I took her over to Venice. That was probably a mistake because Megan has a lot of questions about certain smells that were coming from Venice. If you know what I mean, people like I do. to partake in, yes. uh, in certain activities there.
0: Yes, they're very, uh, and, very laid back there, and very
7: hungry. Yeah. <laughs> very. So, and she didn't really love the vibe there. Granted, she's nine years old. Uh, And we we did a lot of touring. We took the TMZ uh, Hollywood tour. And Ah. I know you're not going to be surprised by this, but they literally said the guide said I would be perfect, like to move there and be a, a tour guide, a bus guide.
0: Like for you to tell everyone this is who lives here and sort of dishing on the celebrities and doing all the gossip stuff. 100%
7: I was basically doing it for him. He didn't really seem to know a lot. So, like, we would pass certain restaurants from the housewives, (laughs) and I would get up, and, like, then he finally just said, why don't you just put the headset on? So then I would, you know, give, you know, things out. Uh, I did a a prize grab for them. Megan was kind of a little embarrassed. You you
0: took over the tour?
7: Yeah, I wish. She didn't take any pictures, and Bobby wasn't with me. I'm so upset. But I gave out a T-shirt. I did a... um, like, uh, we passed a restaurant, because I said to the guy, the driver, I'm like, where are we coming up to? And he told me, and I'm like, oh, I know who owns this. So I did, like, who owns this? And if anybody knew it, I gave a T-shirt out. Um, yeah, they, people were coming up to me after. One guy asked to take a picture with me.
0: That's amazing. I mean, it's, did you give him Megan your with, Twitter handle? And, like, at CookiesJar1988, He can follow. he can follow you forever now
7: well they did ask me they asked me to sign a release because um they do take video footage on the bus and then they said that they call me and we could do a skype or something but i declined because i assumed the people that i work for wouldn't be okay with that (laughs) so Uh, i i I did not sign the release form
0: you go to la for like four days and you become a big hollywood star christine it's it's amazing have you eaten anywhere good? I know you were looking at some Ooh, of the places yes. I dined. I was at Craig's. I was at Catch. Those were really fun experiences.
7: So it is very strange, Guy. The night that you went to Catch, we were looking on Open Table, and we were thinking about going to Catch. But I don't know if I ever told you this. I got kicked out of the Catch in New York City, so I kind of have some bitter memories. Like, security literally threw me out of the restaurant. And this was only just a few years ago. So and I And why a little was that, pray catch. tell? Oh, I mean, um, just it's a long story, but the group I was with, our entire group got literally kicked out. Um, We may have been a little angry. Um, We got moved a a couple places because celebrities are coming in. We didn't like that, and we may have gotten a little angry, and they didn't seem to like that. So I'm a little Mm. bitter on catch, but I do want to try it. Um, We went to Javier's. Have you ever been there? No. It's, like, super up scale mexican restaurant that is unbelievable i had the most amazing meal changed my whole thought process on mexican food and margaritas because right, you said I you didn't
0: like all... mexican food okay so this is oh, this is crucial this
7: is so different mm. this is crucial
0: so now you're liking mexican food and i heard from an unnamed source that you texted who works on the show and is based in dc and he's rather quiet but i'm not going to tell you who it mm. was because we protect our sources here uh, he said that you had texted him about how you are about how you are now super into margaritas and you prefer tequila to even vodka, which is what I've been saying for a long time. And you said, no, no, I don't like that. I'm a vodka girl and I don't like margaritas or tequila. But apparently that has all changed now that you have once again, finally, belatedly taken my advice on something.
7: Why I literally wrote in the text, don't tell Guy because he's going to think he was right. So we'll talk about that later.
0: He may or may not. My source may or may not have read me that part of the text message as (laughs) well.
7: I love margaritas. I love tequila. Um, Actually, I don't feel like, I don't know. I I feel much more mellow with tequila than I do vodka. So um, I don't know. I've kind of like changed. In a few days, so, now, like, so after is, like, all,
4: tequila.
0: you finally had it. a few weeks ago in New York, you had a margarita with White. You're like, Wait, hang on, what is this magic potion? I'm like, Of course she likes margs. of course she does.
7: They are delicious, and you can get like different flavors. Like at the pool, yes. I had a watermelon margarita that was delicious. Um, the other day at <laughs> Javier's, I had like a strawberry one with tahine on the oh. Unbelievable. I'm so a tequila girl. Like, love it. Love, love, love it.
0: I'm not surprised. I just, you've deprived yourself of this for so many years for absolutely no reason. And you're coming around also on Mexican food, it sounds like.
7: Oh, this was like high end, like, like dishes were between 40, 50 bucks. So this oh, wasn't your expensive. average, you know, like. Yeah, but some of the belt. best like,
0: Mexican food, Christine, is like street tacos. So, so delicious, especially paired With a margarita, I'm just saying.
7: Okay, well, let me stick with the high-end for a while. I mean, I don't even think we have a Javier's anywhere in New Jersey or New York, they told us. But um, it was absolutely delicious. Oh, I I can't even—probably one of my favorite meals. But we did go to a uh, steakhouse, Musso and Frank's, last night. Have you ever been there? I have not. It's very, very well known. It's back in the day where, like, you know, all the old Hollywood movie stars would go when they were done, you know, filming and the producers. And it was very old. Like, the booths were red and the room was dark. And, oh, we had a, a delicious, you know, steak. And we're spoiling Megan. She believes that, you know, every meal should be three courses with filet mignon. So we are ruining
0: her. For when well, I, I agree life. entirely. So, and, and that's exactly what my tastes were at her age. And look, they created a monster out of me. So uh, you're going to have a daughter with some expensive taste, which is fine. I think she'll probably do very well for herself in life. That's my guess. I do want to ask you this. I think I saw on your social media, whether it was Twitter at Cookies Jar 1988 or on your personal Instagram. Did you make a pilgrimage as I did to In-N-Out Burger? I did it on the very last day. After the show, before my flight yesterday, I went to the In-N-Out by LAX. It was swamped, absolutely packed, in the middle of the afternoon out there. And I got myself a double-double. I scarfed it down in about 45 seconds because I was in a rush, and also it was so good. And I just want to say, revisiting our conversation from last week in Texas, it just is better than Whataburger. And I'm sorry, Texans who disagree. People who call In-N-Out overrated, I think, are catastrophically wrong it is very very good my opinion did you also go christine if so what did you get
7: uh we did go and apparently i'm catastrophically wrong because we thought it was completely overrated i believe my husband's words were i'm feel like i'm just having a big mac
3: oh we both got the
7: double double and yes we waited a long time it there was a security guard like lining us up the fries were almost inedible.
0: Yeah, the fries are bad. I didn't um, order fries. I only got the double double. That's it. And of course, the Coke yeah.
7: zero. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I didn't even think the Coca Cola was that good there. Um, I'm sorry. But yeah, Megan, I wouldn't go as far as Bobby and Megan, but uh, they both agreed McDonald's is 10 times better. I'm sorry, people of California. It's just wrong. It's, it's a total zero for us. We will not be going back.
0: No way. Wrong. Wrong. It's just incorrect. It is so much better than McDonald's, and I don't dislike McDonald's, but In-N-Out Burger is better. The Double Double is so much better than the Big Mac. It's so much fresher. Just, uh, It's just added to the list. Christine, she gets finally unwrong on something, Margarita. She has to add something new to the wrong list, and apparently that— is In-N-Out Burger. When do you come back, Christine? Or are you sort of getting used to the climate and everything? You've got a job as a tour guide. You might become, I don't know what, a general manager at this Mexican restaurant. Are we going to lose you to California?
7: No, I mean fear not, Guy Benson. I'm still get, well. Who knows? Let's see. I got to hear how what Quiet Y did. I may or may not have a job when I get back there. But as <laughs> for now, you're still stuck with me. L. A. is nice to visit. I would not call this place my home. Cookie be yes, a Jersey, New York girl through and through. And I just have to tell you one thing. My daughter, the old soul she is, said to me, "Mommy." Girls don't wear a lot of clothes out here. How come?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, because it's it's warm and the weather's nice, Megan. Maybe that's the answer. Very quickly, you said that I have to pick. I have to pick what you're going to do.
7: Okay, okay. Okay, ready? Now, do we rent a car tomorrow and do a all the way up to Santa Barbara and, you know, do a whole day Malibu, Santa Barbara, and then come back and just spend our time, you know, looking at different places? Or do we just go to Universal? You pick.
0: Well, since it sounds like you've done kind of Universal already and some rides at the Santa Monica Pier, Universal is fun, but it seems like you've kind of done that part of L.A. a little bit already. I would rent the car and drive up and down the coast because it really is stunningly beautiful out there, and you should see that.
7: Okay. That's what we were, we were leaning towards. We just want to get – I just want to yeah. drive up the coast and feel like I'm part of Beverly Hills 90210.
0: Get a convertible, maybe have your your hair blowing in the wind. And by the way, now that I have encouraged you and given you the recommendation to drive the coast and rent the car, I just want to say have a great time at Universal Studios because that's obviously what you're going to end up doing, (laughs) the opposite of what I've told you. So enjoy that. We'll see you on Monday, Christine. Thanks for taking some of your time out of your vacation for the home stretch today. Adios, amigos. <laughs> I'm back here on the radio tomorrow, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, joining Brett Bayer and Special Report in a matter of minutes on Fox News Channel. See you there. In the meantime, thank you for listening. It's The Guy Benson Show.
3: I love tequila.